Of course, our uh, title along this series is Without Excuse, focusing on uh, Romans 1 and 20, uh, which we will hit back on here at the end of this. But we understand that those that would uh, declare God powerless today, that those that would declare that all things happened by accident, those, thing, uh, those folks that would declare that there is no God are, we find, without excuse. There is no excuse. No one can stand before a holy God with a valid excuse as to why they have not believed. God has made every provision for you and I as mankind today, all throughout history. God has done everything he can to make sure that we are restored to a right relationship with him. God has done everything in his power to assure that you and I live in eternity with him. The only thing he has not and cannot do is force you to believe. And you see, that's where the world, that's where the world has taken issue with God. That's where the world that we're studying about, that's this world that Paul's talking about in this last half of chapter Rome, uh, uh, chapter one of Romans. Uh, we began talking about that last week, and we'll get more into that this week. Let's begin. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 25. The word of God says, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And we're picking up in the middle of where Paul left off last week. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up into vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now you see why I wanted you to get so happy a while ago, don't you? <laughs> not the most happy of scripture that you would want to read right there. And we look at that as we read through that, uh, I would assure you uh, also as well, if you're here, mother with young children, I know that this scripture uh, has the tendency for a lot of people uh, to get out of hand. That will not happen here this morning. Don't worry about that. Uh, we understand the company that we're in, and this is the word of God. It will be taught as the word of God. Just want you to know that. You see, this is what Paul is teaching the 
believers that he written to in Rome. He wrote to those believers over there that would, you know, as we talked about the other week, in just a few hundred years, just a couple of hundred years from the time that Paul wrote this, would be facing uh, the overtaking of their church by the forces of evil, by the Babylonian priesthood system that had been set up there uh, uh, and had become known as the emperor worship system. The church, it would be infiltrated uh, by that very same system. But Paul, when he's writing this, you know, we talked about that. When he first began chapter one, he said, I, you, me. He said that a lot of times, didn't we? We talked about that last week. But then last week we saw that turn, didn't we? We saw he got away from I, me, we, you. And he began to talk about they, them, their selves. You see, what was the difference there? Paul began to explain not just what the Roman church, what the Roman believers were facing in their life, but Paul began to explain scripture expounded. In other words, what not just what was happening then, but what would be happening in the last days. What would be happening all throughout history, as a matter of fact. And Paul, in his explanation to the believers over there, because what we see in Romans is the most exquisite explanation of the grace and the mercy of the bound, unbounded, uh, listen, love of God that we've ever seen explained before. Because within the book of Romans, we see explained that grace and mercy that is available to all men who Paul said uh, there in verse 20, uh, they are without excuse. When Paul gets through with this epistle here, no one will have an excuse to reject God. No one will have an excuse to say, God don't love me. No one will have an excuse to say, God don't know where I'm at. No one will have an excuse to say, God don't care about me. You see, when Paul gets through with this letter, uh, we will see uh, by the implication of every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever been conceived on the face of this earth that God loves them more than they will ever realize. That God desires uh, to know them, uh, to have a, a personal relationship with them, and that there is nothing on this earth and nothing in all of creation that he would not do uh, to accomplish that, even to the sending of his only son. You see, that's where Paul's going. Paul wants this, Paul's going to get to the grace and the mercy, the peace. And the love. Paul's going to get to that. But you see, before he does get to that, church, what he needs those believers to see is that when he gets there to grace, when he gets there to mercy, when he gets there to love, he has got to let everybody know and understand that it's all Jesus. All Jesus. We don't come before the cross. And bargain with God. We don't come before the throne of mercy. And bargain with God. God I'll do this much if you do that much. No that don't work. God I'm going to try to do better. 
You've talked to folks like that before. Won't you come to church with all y'all church people are just the same. I can live just as good over here as y'all can going over there. I don't need to be around with y'all. I don't need to do that. Or, you know, maybe they won't get so defensive. They'll say, well, I'm going to try to do better. You know, I've turned over a new leaf. Okay, yeah. Well, you can turn over as many leaves as was laying on the floor here at that wedding yesterday. But you'll never find grace and mercy. You see, it's all Jesus Christ. And Paul, in his explanation here, what we look and see when we read this last uh, 16, 17 verses here in Romans 1, uh, we, get so, uh, we get so depressed. We look and see and, and think of a world that has turned to that. And yet when we look out into the world today, we see that very same thing, don't we? We see that very same thing. Last week, we saw in verse 18, Paul talked about this. You remember he talked about the wrath of God, the wrath of God. And we saw what? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That's what he said. It's revealed from, who is it revealed? It's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Well, who's doing the ungodliness? Who's the unrighteousness? Well, it's us. It's of mankind. And who are those? Those who hold the truth. In unrighteousness. Notice this theme there. All right. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. If we will pay attention in scripture, we will find out that the truth is very precious to our God. As a matter of fact, it's so precious that Jesus in what John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. So notice that. Last week, Paul talked about those who hold truth in unrighteousness. This is specific to our God. He does not take well to that. We talked about that last week. You, yours, 15 times there in those first 15 verses. And the last 16, 17 there, they, them, there, themselves, we saw that. We see that today and last week 22 times. Paul turns that focus. Believers, here's what I presented to you. Here's how I love you. I want to see you grow, but I want you to understand where what situation mankind is in. And he turns that. So let's look here. As Paul begins after he is led off, after uh, we ended last week, we saw there in Verse 24, where Paul said, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness. And we talked about getting into that. And then he continues this week here in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. What do we just say? What do we just talk about? What Paul mentioned very uh, specifically last week, uh, last week, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now notice these very same people, this same uh, group that Paul is talking about, they, them, themselves, basically mankind that has rejected God, they have changed the truth of God into a lie. Changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And I would submit to you, if you have ever, if you have ever looked for a definition 
of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus talked about that. They talked about that over in the Gospels. What's the only unforgivable sin? Well, it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I've heard many people preach about that, teach about that, talk about that. Uh, but I would submit to you that if you've ever looked for a definition, that could not be more clear than what Paul proclaims here. This is it. You proclaim that the truth of God is unrighteousness. You proclaim that the truth of God is a lie by either your words or deed. What you're doing is you're proclaiming that Holy Spirit is a liar. That's what you say. Because God has reached out to each and every one of us to give us love, to give us mercy, to give us grace through Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit comes. You remember what Jesus told the disciples? He said, I'm going to send you Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people would today in our churches would have you to believe that the Holy Spirit's job is to fall on the worship band and to get the emotions flowing. Okay, well, I'm here to tell you it's not. That's not one of the descriptions that Jesus gave. He said the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world in righteousness, to convict the world in truth, to convict the world of their sin. Oh, sin. You see, that's what the, the, the world does not like to see. But when we, what we have to understand is what we were talking about here at the beginning. What Paul is trying to get us to see is that there is not one of us, not one, that cannot say we're not a sinner. I'm the chief. I'm the chief. Paul used to be, he, he laid hold of that title. He's dead. He's gone. It's mine now. I'm the chief. I'm the chief of sinner. I cannot stand here in this pulpit. I, can, I cannot lay judgment at somebody else. What I have to do is to understand and to realize that Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins one day and that through believing in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through as His Word says, by believing that He died for my sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again according to the Scriptures, only by believing in that, in faith, Am I saved? It is never going to be any good that I do. Because any good that I do falls way, 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 way short. Each and every time. It can never get good enough. It can never get holy enough. You see, it's always Jesus. Always. That's what Paul says. I want you to see, believers. I want you to see. I know the church is on fire right now. I know the believers are spreading. I know the word's getting out. But listen, it's going to get to a point, church, uh, where there's going to be people that think they are accomplishing these things on their own. There's going to be a time uh, when the church is going to stand up and say, uh, we've written a book on how to do church and this is what you need to do church right. That's what Paul was trying to get the believers to see. That if you ever take your eyes off of Jesus, you've missed the mark. You've missed it. That's what Paul wanted him to see. So if you've ever looked for a definition of blaspheme in the Holy Spirit, there it is. Call him a liar. Call him a liar. 
And we do that by our words and our deeds, by saying, by just rejecting the conviction of Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit convicts us, you're a sinner, Joey. And I want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. And if my reply is to him, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. I can do better. I've just called him a liar to his face. That's the only thing that will send anybody to hell. That's it. Murder, rape, incest, burglary, whatever kind of heinous crime you can think of will not send you to hell. Will not. Because there has been a provision made. There has been a provision made for the salvation of your soul. Even what Paul gets into here in verses 26, 27, uh, we see uh, this degradation of society into uh, the judgment of homosexuality. Okay? People will have you believe today the church, uh, those in the church uh, will call, that's why it's so hard to talk about this because so many in the church have made it so hard to talk about because they will proclaim that God hates these people. No, he don't. No, he does not. That sin's not going to send them to hell. No more than my sin would send me to hell. The only thing that will send me to hell is when I tell the Holy Spirit you're a liar. You're a liar because I believe I'm good enough to get to heaven. I believe I'm good enough to stand before God. And Holy Spirit gently convicts my heart and my spirit and says, you're a sinner, Joey. You need to meet Jesus Christ and believe in him because only through him can you be saved. And if my reply is I'm good enough, I don't need that today. I've just called him a liar. And I am in unbelief because I have not believed him. That's what will send me to hell. You see, Paul said here in verses 26 and 27, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. And then he talks about that for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. You see, church, what we have to understand today is that there is all kinds of sinful natures out there. There are all kinds of sins going on in the world. But you see, there's coming a day, and we may already be in that day. I cannot say one way or another. If Personally, if I had to say, I would say we're there. But there is coming a day when the judgment of God will be proclaimed upon the nations. And all those nations who have rejected God, not just said, you know, uh, we don't want to follow the Bible anymore. Uh, no, we don't want your uh, Ten Commandments on our courthouses. Uh, you know, we don't want these things. But when a nation stands up uh, as a people, when a nation stands up with their laws and with their governments and proclaims before God Almighty uh, that we will do things our way, whether you like it or not, judgment will fall on that nation. It is going to. And you see, this is what Paul is talking about. For God gave them up unto vile affections. Well, God just turned his back on them. No, no, no. 
You see, we talked about this. We mentioned this last week. Might have mentioned it Wednesday. I can't remember. But we, what we have to understand, that term, God gave them up. We have to understand that in a judicial sense. Much in a way as a, a criminal would come before uh, the judge on the bench. Okay? When the criminal comes before the judge on the bench, what's happened? Well, they present the evidence. Is he innocent? Is he guilty? And the judge, well... You know, the jury decides and, and the judge passes judgment. If he finds, if the, the defendant's found guilty, he gives him over to the bailiff to be taken away for punishment. You see, the judge don't get up one morning and go out on the street and say, hey, arrest that dude and bring him here. And bring him in there and say, I find you guilty. Gone. The judge don't do that. No, the judge simply passes the sentence. Of what of the actions and the deeds of the defendant. And you see, this is what we see happening here. Same thing that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Same thing. God gave them up unto vile infections because they have done these deeds. He gave them over, gave them to judgment. And you see, this is coming to every nation who rejects the laws of God. He gave them up. God gives them up what? Of their own accord. It's not in accordance with his will. You see, this is, uh, as bizarre as it is, even something like this is, is uh, a, a testament against uh, the, you know, the predestination of mankind before all of creation uh, that God chose each and every one. Uh, we can see even in this that God allows choice, that the free choice is ours. The choice has always been ours. God never imposes his will upon mankind. Remember what the Bible says about the will of God? It is the will of God that none should perish. Not that most not perish. Not that the chosen should not perish. Not that the elect should not perish. It is the will of God that none should perish. People will tell you you can't oppose the will of God. Well, I guess you can. You see, that's what we have to understand. Scripture teaches us. You can't oppose God. You can't oppose the will of God. Yes, you can. He's giving you the choice. You can say yes or you can say no. That is how special each and every one of you are. You are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. Let us make mankind in our image. Do you realize? Do you understand how special we are to our creator? He loves us more than anything he has ever created. So much that he has allowed us to choose for ourselves whether we would love him or would we would reject him. This is not in accordance with the will of God. God doesn't want to be giving up people to a reprobate mind. God don't want to be giving up people to sinful nature. He wants them to be saved. Yet the world will try to convince you. Satan's been doing this for a long time now, so he's good at this. The world will try to convince you that God's a callous God. God's an uncaring God. 
God is a, a jealous, and a, yes, he is jealous, but he's not going to turn his back on his people. No, he's made provisions. Paul continued, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Notice this. Paul said, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Notice that. To, to retain something, okay? If I retain something, it means I've had it at one time, right? It's, it's been mine, or I've looked at it, I've held it. I'm going to retain it. But if I do not want to retain it, I let it go. You see? This is, remember what Paul said in verse 20? He said, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse. There's judgment coming where people will not like to retain God in, in their knowledge. And God is once again going to give them over, just like we saw before, just like we saw at the end of last week. God gave them over, handed them over to judgment. You see why this first chapter is so so scary, so horrific for a people, for a nation that would be handed over to judgment because they have rejected God to do those things which are not convenient. And then he starts with his list there in 29 through 31, being filled with what? All unrighteousness. Now, as I go through this list, you just kind of, you know, think about, maybe think about uh, uh, CNN and Fox News and your, your nightly news. Just think about all the stuff you hear uh, you know, out there in the world today. And I'm pretty sure you're going to hear every one of them ticked as we go through. All unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And then he gets down to that last verse. Who knowing the judgment of God, who knowing the judgment of God. You see, that is the sad part. That is the sad part, church. I was talking with someone yesterday, and usually, usually I won't interject in this type of way. But you know, they made mention of of the fact that they're, you know, that they're praying for a revival to come in this land, and. and I, I had, to, I had to tell him, I said, look, 
I said, I know what you're talking about. I know what you want to see. But I think we have to stop and realize that at some point, Scripture plainly teaches us that there will be no revival in the end of times. There will be no revival in the last day. There will be a revival in the apostate church now, okay? In the apostate church, the church that the world loves, that church is going to explode. But the church that follows the teachings of Jesus Christ, that lives under direction of the Holy Spirit, that church is not going to see a revival. You see, Paul explains why. Because you're going to see an explosion of this type of attitude. You're going to see an explosion of the, this, of these type of people, who knowing the judgment of God, and yet reject him still, and yet turn their back on him, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, it really breaks my heart when I read this last verse here. Because I'm just honest with you. The nation and the people that I grew up loving and still do to this day, I cannot help but see them in this verse. This place that I have called home for the 52 years of my life, when I look around, I'm forced to say, this is what we have become. This is where we are at in our society. Knowing the judgment of God. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. And he gave us the long list there before that. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, this is the nation, all right, that not only says for years, for years, you know, uh, how our nation has been, but then this is what this nation has become. Not only do we look at all these, these long laundry list of sins and say, well, you know, not, we're not, we, we used to turn our back on these things. We used to say no to these things. We used to not allow these things in our society. But we've gotten to the point to where we've, okay, we'll tolerate them. Uh, just don't say anything about them. Just don't uh, do anything to bring attention to yourself. But no, they go on further to the point to where they're going to, uh, the nation has now said, uh, we're not only going to recognize the sin that you do, we're going to celebrate it. We're going to incorporate that into our laws. We're going to make it a part of our society. We're going to join with you in your rejection of God, and we're going to celebrate it. We're going to have pleasure in these things. This is the judgment of a nation. And church, this is where our nation is at today. Amen. If you're thinking 
If you're thinking, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend you, but if you're thinking that in three weeks from now, you're going to solve the problems of this country at the ballot box, you're wrong. It's not going to happen. I don't care who's running. It's not going to happen. The government of the United States is not going to bring this nation back to God. They have turned their back on our God. And you see, our church in today's time have got to stand on the authority of this right here, the holy word of the living God. And if we ever leave this right here, we just as well to close the door. We roll a bingo machine in here and have bingo on Friday night because that's all it'll be worth if we ever leave the word of the living God. And you see, church, what we have to do in today's society is not go out here and take up picket signs and try to start a movement somewhere or not go to our congressman or our representative and rally them to change the laws of the land. But what we've got to do is to get back to living a life that's led and filled by the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's what you and I have to do. And you see, we have to do that. Don't get me wrong here, okay? We have to do it in love. In love. Because you see that long list of sins I read right there? If we kept on continuing this series, and we're not going to do that, but you can read this, all right? Because you pick right up right after Romans one thirty-two. If you'll go to Romans 2 and 1, you'll find out where Paul lays it down and says, look, Believers, don't turn up your snooty nose and think you're better than somebody else. Don't you go judging other folks. And he lays down the law in chapter 2. Let me be very clear about that. He lays it down. And he makes sure that the believers understand and know. You believe in God. You're saved by the grace and the mercies of the living God. Don't you go judging other people. Don't you go turning your nose up at these folks that I just explained to you. You've got to show them the love of God. You've got to be the Bible in their life. You've got to be Jesus to them. You've got to be the one that shows them to the Lord. If we're not doing that, they're not going to see it. They're not going to find it. You see, church, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Paul said this in verse 20. We'll hit this verse one more time. The invisible things of him that are clearly seen from the creation of the world, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There are no excuses. No excuses. The majesty, the power of all creation is self-evident. And on this fact alone, mankind can be held accountable. That fact alone. You see, God could have stopped right there. Right there. When Adam and Eve turned their back on him, he could have stopped right there and said, that's it. That's it. I'll not do another I'll not lift another finger to help you out. You have turned your back on me. You have I've given you everything, provided everything for you. You have rejected me. You have made your feelings clear 
about how you feel about me. You have believed the father of all liars instead of the father of all creation. You've made it clear, but he didn't do that. No, don't you blame my God. Don't you lay all the filth and the negative things that's going on in this world at the feet of my God. Don't you lay the death of your family and friends at the feet of my God. Don't you lay this depression and despair at the feet of my God. My God has not done this to you. My God has made every provision possible for you to escape this. That's what he has done. No, he sent his son to save that man and that woman and their progeny who had turned their back on him. Created in my image. The son said, Father, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll, I'll go. And you see, church, that's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus called us to do, not to go out here judging other people, casting stones at other people, calling other people names, running them down, degrading them. That's what Satan does. That's what his very name means, the accuser. That's what Satan means, the accuser. And when we join in on that, we are doing the work of Satan. We don't accuse people. We show them the truth in love and in compassion.